If, if you're with us uh, for the first time, or man, we're glad God has brought you. And uh, here's the deal. You've caught us in a new teaching series simply called uh, Justice. And in case you haven't been here in the previous weeks or that you slept through our sermons, remember Ray and I are both bodybuilding. Oh, gosh dang. Okay, glad you're here. Um, But let me catch us up. Let's get it on the same page. My first message on justice was how it's defined in the Word of God, because our culture attaches uh, so much confusing stuff to the idea of justice. But God's Word is clear. God is called, in the Bible, God is called the righteous judge. Always makes right decisions. Always does the right thing. The righteous judge. And we, we are guilty. (laughs) We stand before the righteous God as guilty sinners which is a bad deal. It's bad news because the penalty for our sin is death and hell. This is our hellish problem for me and for you. God's holy justice because He's the right, righteous judge. He cannot overlook our sin. But His outrageous, unfailing, unending love is so consuming that He makes a way, that He makes a way for us to be innocent as opposed to guilty, that he makes a way for us to be beyond innocent, to be absolutely perfect. And he does it through his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world, me, you, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in Jesus, that have everlasting life, no death, no hell. And so this is God's saving remedy. In his lavish love, God puts all our sins On Jesus, all your sins, all my sins. Now, this happens in the moment that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who died for your sins and who was raised from the dead. When you surrender your life to Jesus, bam, everything bad about you goes on Jesus and everything good about Jesus goes on you. Here's how the Word of God says it. God took the sinless Christ, Jesus knew no sin, did no sin, and poured into Him our sins. Now, the cool deal about this, Jesus faced every temptation we face, except He never fell. He never failed. He overcame. He battled. It was hard, man. With sweat and tears, He battled His way through every temptation. And so, He is able to take all my ugly, evil imperfections upon himself and impute to me and to you all the glory and beauty of his perfection. Put that back up there, please. God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins, all our sins, everything wrong with you on Jesus, everything right with Jesus on you. Then in an exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. So we stand before our God, the righteous judge. He now becomes our heavenly father on the basis of our belief. We are no longer guilty. We are forgiven past, present, and future. We are deeply loved. We are highly valued. And our lives are changed by this love. Um, Okay, that was the first week. I should probably stop and take another offering Um, The second week, uh, Ray, uh, our associate pastor, he did a teaching on the fact that if God has been so good to us, it's only 
just that we pray that he be good, that our friends and family and neighbors and co-workers experience his goodness as well. And then last week, I gave you three things, three behaviors that God hates. From Second Chronicles 19.7, the Word of God says that God hates bribery. I mean, when you have to pay somebody off just to treat you right. Secondly, God hates injustice. When everyone is not treated equally. And thirdly, God hates racial prejudice. Now, what I want to give you this week are three behaviors God loves. His heart melts. His heart is drawn towards you as you practice these behaviors as a part of your lifestyle. Here they are from Micah 6.8. The Lord God told us what is right. Doesn't leave us in the dark. Puts it out there, tells us what is right and what he demands. Number one. Here's what God loves. See that justice is done. See that everyone is treated equal. Number two, let mercy, let compassion be your number one concern. And number three, humbly obey your God. This is like a double whammy, that last one. God is drawn to your humility. God is drawn irresistibly to your obedience. God is drawn to your mercy and compassion. God is drawn to you when you treat everybody equally. Now, I want to take you into a Jesus story. When we see our Christ modeling all these behaviors in in one moment, in one experience, in, in one event. And let me give you first the historical context for what Jesus does. It's 27 AD, uh, springtime. Jesus has just performed his very first miracle, public miracle. He took regular everyday water, changed it into the most extraordinary of wines at a wedding reception of all places. Now, when all the festivities are over at the wedding reception, Jesus gathers his mom, his siblings, his brothers, and his 12 new disciples. And for about three days, they put supplies and provisions together because Jesus has told them he's going to lead them on an 80-mile hike. They're going to the capital of Israel. They're going to Jerusalem, the very center of their religious faith. That's where the temple of God is. That's where God lives. And so they are psyched. They are pumped. They're ready to go. And they're not alone. Every path, every trail, every lane, every road is just packed with pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, on their way to the temple to celebrate the most important Jewish festival, holiday uh, of the year. And the wildest thing is this. They sing the whole way. It's a joyous journey from step one until they step into the temple. They're singing. They're singing the Psalms in the Bible. And it just makes me wonder if when they enter Jerusalem, just coming down the Mount of Olives, up toward the temple, just before they step into the temple, if they don't like one big, massive choir, begin to sing Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with glory and honor, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And then this phrase, they sing, the Lord works righteousness and justice 
for all the oppressed. Now, everybody and their brother in that giant choir is about to see Jesus fulfill the lyrics of this psalm. You see, the temple, though beautiful, impressed, the biggest, I mean, when these pilgrims walk in, it's just like, wow. It's the a, it's a biggest facility, the, the most beautiful structure they have ever seen, and this is the house where God lives, but it has become an ugly place on the inside. You see, the priest, all the priests have become political flunkies, and they're running a scam on the pilgrims, and the, the temple is given oversight by religious politicians. And here's the racket they were working. Every, every family had a dad. And his whole purpose in being there, maybe the kids wanted to play with other kids. Maybe his wife wanted to get together with friends. Maybe there were people who wanted to see their cousins and their extended family. But the dad, he has one purpose. He's going to get a lamb. Now, he couldn't bring a lamb. The lamb would get dirty. The lamb might get hurt. He needs the perfect lamb. And when he gets the lamb, he takes the lamb's face in his hands. And he begins to speak all of his sins onto the head of the lamb. He speaks all of his kids' sins, all of his wife's sins. He spends like 45 minutes speaking his mother-in-law's sins on the head. Sorry to all the mother-in-laws in the audience. But that's the idea. You see, the lamb is the sinless, innocent substitute. It's a third party. It takes all his sins. And then the lamb will suffer the penalty. Remember the penalty for sin? The wages of sin is death and hell. But now the lamb will be sacrificed for there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And it's a picture. It's a picture of the lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world while he's hanging on the cross. His blood is shed to pay for our sins. He's the innocent, sinless third party. All our sins are put on him. And all his goodness is put on us. But... This is a struggle because this is a scam. You see, here's the deal. This uh, pilgrim dad, let's say he walks in the, to the temple with 520s. He's saved up his money for a long time. He knew this day was coming, and he's got 100 bucks to do his worship, only to find out that his money is no good in the temple. He, it will, they will only take temple money. So he's got to exchange his money for temple money. So he goes to a money exchange and he gives the guy 520s and the guy gives him back 420s of temple money. What the heck? That's the way it is. You want to do business here? You do it our way with our money. Ah. Okay, so now he's a little short, but he goes to like a, a, a discount dollar store lamb facility. And um, he says, you know, I, I need a lamb to cover the sins, my sins and the sins of my family. And the lamb guy says, well, that'll be uh, $40. Okay, I need that lamb. Gets the lamb, takes the lamb to this priest. Remember a political flunky working for religious politicians. 
It's a scam. So the, the priest says, oh, man, I'm sorry, this lamb has a defect. It's not worthy of our God. What? Yeah, I, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll buy it back from you. Here's $20. And then the priest takes the lamb back to the dollar lamb store to run the scam on another sucker. Here's the pilgrim guy. Now he goes to the premium Target lamb store. He says, I need a perfect lamb. No spot, no blemish, no defect. They say, that'll be $60. It's all gone. The point is this. No one who entered the temple came out of it with any money except the religious politicians and their political flunkies, the priest. So what's Jesus going to do? What's Jesus going to do when he steps into this scene? This is his house. This is his father's house. This is where God is worshiped. And people are pulling a scam. People are abusing the poor. Jesus is poor. His mom, maybe he's got his arm around her. Look at both of them at the big temple. His mom is poor. His brothers that are with him, they're poor. The 12 disciples, they're poor. All these pilgrims are poor. And Jesus just loses it. Here's how the Bible tells this account. In the temple, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. Others sat at the tables exchanging money. So, see some rope on the ground, maybe used to bring the the cattle or the sheep in, starts to pick up pieces of rope, cords, and wove them into a whip. And with that whip, he drove all from the temple, both sheep and cattle, money changers, priests, the whole deal. He scattered the coins of the money changers and turned their tables over. And initially, they are put to flight, some scrambling on the ground to grab the coins, others chasing after lamb or cattle. But then they go from being desperate and afraid to being enraged. They're coming after Jesus. Well, there's more of us than there is of him, but Jesus doesn't back off. In fact, in my mind, I see him stepping right at the mob. And I love the way Luke describes what Jesus speaks into this mob. He says, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Jesus, this is Jesus taking his stand for, this is Jesus taking his stand with poor people. And if you're newer here, this is something important. We want you to know about our church. Our church is committed to taking our stand boop, with Jesus for the poor. That's us. We see what he does. That's why this house is a house of prayer. Yeah. Now... You, you got to know something. When Jesus talked about the poor, uh, he, the, the word poor ap- appears in the Bible uh, over 2,000 times, and it is multi-layered. When Jesus talked about the poor, he was talking about people who were spiritually poor. I mean, they were far from God. In fact, he says, when someone who is so far from God, they can't even look up to God. They're so embarrassed. They're so humiliated. All they can do is reach out their hand and beg to God. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. There are those then and now who are physically impoverished. They have poor health 
relationally poor, no friends, no family, no one cares. They're broke, financially poor, or emotional poverty. Do you know somebody who was emotionally poor? They're always crabby, grouchy, negative, complaining. I mean someone other than me. I mean because emotional wealth is joy overflowing, hope overflowing, peace overflowing, love overflowing. But some people suffer emotional poverty like this dog. Found this post recently. A guy's trying to find an adoptive family for his crazy chihuahua. And the post reads like this. There is not a very big market for neurotic, man-hating, animal-hating, children-hating dogs who look like gremlins. But I have to believe there's someone out there for Prancer because I'm tired of him, and so is my family. Every day we live in the grip of the demonic chihuahua hellscape he's created in our home. He came to us obese, wearing a cashmere sweater with an egg, bacon, and cheese biscuit stashed in his crate. I should have known then the dog would be a problem. I know that finding someone who wants a Chucky doll in a dog's body is hard to find, but I got to try. I mean, if you've always wanted your own haunted Victorian child in the body of a small dog that hates men, hates children, please email me now. Oh, by the way, He's also only two years old and will probably live to be 21 out of pure spite. (laughs) So, really, seriously, I don't know. The word poor in the Bible means desperate, serious need. I don't don't know anybody who can help Prancer other than an exorcist or a chihuahua whisperer. Um, But maybe you're like me. And you look at the, all the brokenness in the world, all the spiritual poverty. You look out there and you see so many people struggling with health issues. Relational poverty. Financial poverty, emotional poverty, and you just feel like, oh my gosh, I, I, I can't watch that anymore. I got to turn past that page, get past that picture. And I just like, I'm just one person. What, what, what could I do? How could I make a difference with all that pain in our world? You know how I think Jesus would answer your question? He would simply likely say, hey, all you got to do is lift a burden and leave a blessing. That's it. It's one of the reasons I am so humbled uh, to serve as your pastor and and honored to to be a part of this church because I have never in my life seen a church like this church. If you don't know us, for, for, I don't know, um, I'm going to guess that it's been like 20 years. Every Wednesday for 20 years, hungry people in our community come here and they are given four days of groceries to supplement their food for them and their children. Um, we, every Wednesday, we deliver to 26 residents, people who don't either have a vehicle or are disabled to the point that they can't get here. For, so we take the groceries to them. We lift a burden and we leave 
a blessing. It's as simple as that. The, uh, let me give you another illustration. The, the, um, the earthquake that recently wrecked Haiti, our orphanage there did not uh, escape the devastation. It's a beautiful two-story facility that you uh, paid to pay Haitian workers. So they got jobs. We got an orphanage. We got tons of boys there. We got an orphanage staff, and the boys are out. Because of the structural damage um, within the building, uh, the first night the boys, I don't know how many nights it went on, but they slept outside on a soccer field. And this is a, a, it's a Caribbean island, so it rains all the time. And we have them under roof now, um, but the building that has the roof has no walls. And there is still wind-driven rains until we can come up with $6,000 to uh, provide the structural repairs to the orphanage. Um, and here's the wild thing. The earthquake happens, and now the cost of food goes through the roof. It's costing us right now $1,500 a month to feed all those boys and the staff and the staff's families. $1,500 a month. But if you're unfamiliar with our church, every three months, we take up a love offering for hurting people in our community or in our world. And so a portion of that love offering will go to restore our orphanage and to feed uh, our, our boys. It will also go to help another boy's orphanage in the capital of Haiti um, that we work with. All these dollars, they hit the ground. There's no ex uh, administrative expense that goes to anybody, like if you might give to the Red Cross, for instance, not this and the Red Cross, but here, every dime hits the ground. It's my son, Wookie, that runs the orphanage. Another ministry there to children that are, that's in a devil worship, a Satan, a voodoo area, they will be helped with this offering. But also, um, our associate pastor, Ray, um, he, in addition to being with us full-time, he has a ministry to inner city uh, middle school boys in Chicago. And because of Ray's connections, because of his history, and they love you, Ray. They love you. And I, I know it's not fair, but I do have a head start on the bodybuilding thing. <laughs> At least I could be the most improved. Um, anyway, Ray, because of his um, involvement in professional sports, um, he's got lots of connections. And so the kids can get with him into Wrigley Field and they can get in the skybox at the United Center to watch the Bulls. And recently he has a donor that has like 10 Walmart stores. He manages them in the Chicagoland area. They were able to take uh, the boys there to um, show, you know, this is, you can get a job. You got to get an education so you can get a job and you can grow with a business and, you, you know, to help uh, take kids to a different level. Okay, um, it's just that we, those boys don't have any transportation. It's not like you, you're going to go out, you've got a car at home in the drive, you're going to go out and get in the car here. There's no transportation for these kids. In fact, on a recent one, Ray had to Uber them all there. I had to say, I said taxi in an earlier service because they're not as hip as you guys, um, but that's a crazy expense. And so a portion of our love offering um, in September will go to help provide a vehicle 
uh, for Ray of Hope on Earth to help serve those uh, boys. Um, okay, don't clap anymore because you're taking up my time. Okay, before you go, before you go, you got to check out all the school supplies uh, that have been donated by you. Oh man, this gets me. Because there are families, maybe it's a single mom, she's got to decide, do I put food on the table for my children or do I buy a notebook and a book, a backpack and pencils and glue and the deal? These backpacks that you've provided, one family gave 48 backpacks. This glue, this, these pencils, these notebooks. It's, it's giving dignity to children. It's more than pieces of paper and pencils. It's making them understand that they are of value and that they got the same stuff at their desk or in their locker as any other kid. And I've been praying that the love of God will be on every pencil and that the power of the Spirit of God will be on every notebook and every book bag and so that when the teachers get it and the kids get it, they just instinctively say, thank God. Now. Um, teachers, I'm going to ask you to come forward. You can begin to come right now. We're going to pray over you. If you're a homeschool uh, teacher, if uh, you are an administrator in the school system, if you're school staff, if you're a teacher, I want you to come to the front. But, But all of you guys, I want you to check something out. Jesus told a story about how he will welcome people into heaven, okay? And here's the story he told. The king, that's Jesus speaking of himself, the king will say, I I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Boop. I was naked. You didn't want to go to naked, did you? It's Bible. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. And so all the people, Jesus says in his story, the people that are waiting to get into heaven, they're like, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or sick or or a stranger uh, or, or naked and clothe you? And Jesus said, anytime, here's what Jesus said. Whenever you did it for one of, whenever you did one of these things for someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. And so one of the reasons that this church is committed to take our stand with Jesus for the poor is because every time we serve someone in serious need, Jesus takes it. It's deeply personal to Jesus. It's to him. It's for him. It's in his name. I love you, Central Christian. I love your compassion. I love your mercy. I love your humble obedience. I love that you treat everybody equal. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwired.com and have a great week.